Welcome to the East-West Psychology Podcast, a forum for the exploration of psyche and spirit. Join our hosts, Jonathan Kay and Stefan Julich, and their guests as they delve into the intersection of psychology, philosophy, world wisdom traditions, the arts, and more. Welcome to the first of the EWP podcast. Uh, my name is Jonathan Kay. I'm a PhD student in the program, and my co-host is Stefan Julich, who is an adjunct faculty, who is the program manager, who is also a, a PhD in the program. It's great to be uh, here with you today, Stefan. Thanks you also, Jonathan. So I guess in our inaugural episode, we're basically going to keep it short and we're going to just lay the, the groundwork for what to expect in the coming episodes. So Stefan, could we maybe talk a little bit about what our inspiration and our goals are uh, in doing this? You want to start off by sharing some of your thoughts? The inspiration came from a conversation a meeting that I had with other program coordinators where I heard that one of the other departments had a podcast and I thought, why don't we have a podcast? I want a podcast also. When I brought it to Jonathan, Jonathan just jumped all over it and he said, yeah, let's do this. So then we had to brainstorm and think, well, how is it that we want to do a podcast? What would make it different from a podcast and what from one of the other programs? And we thought, well, the things that make East-West psychology unique are actually baked into the program. It's baked into the curriculum of the program. So we thought we should just follow the curriculum, which is a pretty broad curriculum. We uh, we use a specific model that we kind of call a four-quadrant or a four-direction model, East-West, Earth and World, uh, which could also be North and South. We tend to call it Earth and World. That can change at any moment, folks, but this is what we're calling it at the moment. And uh, those are roughly, when when we think about the East, we're talking about maybe Indian philosophy, psychology, spirituality, Chinese philosophy, uh, psychology and spirituality predominantly. And that depends a lot on who's teaching in the program. And right now we have uh, both Devashish Banerjee, who's the chair of the program, and Jun Wang, who is the new core faculty member, and they kind of cover India and China and Japan also. Uh, so those those kind of are, are the major kind of East, what we would call Eastern influences in the program. And we say this fully understanding that East, West, these terms are kind of contested in the academy and may not make a whole lot of sense, but we still use them as orienting points because it, you have to have words uh, in order to kind of designate what it is that we're talking about. Then the West, generally speaking, for us, for East-West psychology, is Western psychology, especially depth psychology or the depth psychologies, but more depth psychology as it was practiced and theorized by C.G. Jung. James Hillman is also fe- features kind of prominently, uh, especially with uh, two of our faculty members, Craig Chalquist and Helge Osterhold. And transpersonal psychology, which is a sister department of ours. Yeah. And uh, uh, Earth, 
would be more earth-based traditions, shamanic traditions. We actually have a pretty strong uh, component of shamanism that's taught in the program with a great group of uh, adjuncts who come in to teach people like Bia Labate and Kimmy Johnson uh, that hold the earth element. Uh, Craig Chalquist also, and even Ishtar uh, Kramer, her core faculty members kind of hold down the earth element for us as well. And the world, this is a little bit more complex and I think that you're probably better qualified to talk about this because this is really, in some ways, the brainchild of Debashish. Um, so maybe I'll, I'll leave this one to you, Jonathan. Right. Well, I guess, um, you know, how do we approach thinking about the, the cardinal points or the quadrants that you just mentioned in the contemporary world? You know, so... I think that Debashish, um, being um, an anti-colonial thinker and s- steeped in postmodern philosophy, was when he came into the department was was very what saw the necessity to sort of um, ground the types of questions that EWP ha- grapples with in contemporary um, theory, which would help facilitate, I think. Um, a turning against some of the ways in which the Eurocentric traditions have hegemonized other traditions. Because when you're speaking about East and West, um, up until the postmodern rupture, when you know you could say more Western classical ideas of philosophy and psychology reigned, um, you know it put at the service of itself other traditions other ways of knowing other other cultural uh, uh, knowledges and it overdetermined them according to how it folded that subject into itself um, and so I think that Debashish brings a very uh, nuanced approach to this this way of talking about the materials that east-west psychology is is sort of putting into relation the questions the um, the, the the east west north and south all of these these cardinal points are in interaction and i think that i'll just bring it up and debashish in our next episode is going to talk about this in more depth but just the post structuralism in his approach i think is it's it's very uh inspiring actually because he's able to speak about the problems that we are inheriting and how to deconstruct some of those problems, how to approach those problems. But then not only that, not only in the service of deconstruction, but in the service of construction. And that's where I think when we look at the whole, the four quadrants as a whole, as a, as a, you know, as a, a mandala, if you will, with some kind of a center, a aditi or bindu at the center of that mandala, then I think that's where, you can have different views. You can have different ways of approaching the Eastern, the Western, the Earth-based traditions, um, and the contemporary perspectives on that, in in a in a productive sense. And and I think that the productiveness is 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 being voiced by this this way in which we can hold paradoxes between these traditions and not assume certain things about other cultures or other ways of knowing um, outside of the normal nor- normative you know academy what eurocentric type of academy so i think that 
that's how I've really been um, influenced by Debashish's thought. And um, I've found that, you know, these four quadrants have really, you know, in myself, in the way that I've uh, encountered East-West psychology in my studies and in the people in my cohort, the other students, it's, it can, it's a very, very insp- like inspiring and productive kind of territory, academic territory. Um, and I think that that's, uh, that idea of construction is really important here. How do we, how do we sort of move outside of some of the assumptions that have not led to progress or not led to uh, a freedom in some sense for some peoples in the world or some uh, ways, uh, ways of knowing. So a little bit, that's just a little bit about that. Right. So, I mean, that's very rich, beautifully said. Thank you. And also much more in depth than than uh, I gave for the for the other quadrants, uh, but I think it's also really important because this is uh, an exceptionally important. This is a, a doorway that looks in in different directions. It looks backwards, but it also and and it's rooted in the contemporary world. But it also looks forward to where we're headed as a species, as a community. And I, I think that, that this is something that's really important to understand about East-West psychology generally, is that East-West psychology looks at the past. It, it, it um, assesses, or that's not the right word for it, but it takes into account uh, where we've been as, uh, as a species, as a planet, and where we stand right now. And uh, the the attempt on the part of the faculty, I think, is to gather knowledge and at the service, put it at the service of uh, practice, praxis in the world, uh, so that our students can make a difference when they leave the program. one of the things that I, I would say that could, could be, you know, kind of at the center of this, the hub holding things together is the ideal of the scholar practitioner. This idea that, and this is another tension that we're holding in the program, is how can you how can you ground what you're doing both in your own practice, and that practice can be a spiritual practice, it can be a psychological practice, it can be an arts-based practice, it can be a, psych, a, a political practice, social oriented i in some ways they're all one being in an academic setting enables us it gives us the opportunity to kind of discriminate to pick apart the pieces to tease out all of the various elements and look at them under a microscope separately that's one of the things that the kind of western academic enterprise has bequeathed to the world but then to also understand that that's only a piece of the puzzle it's not the, the, the goal is not to pull things apart and look at them as isolated um, phenomena or isolated states, but then to then to integrate them. And integrality, I mean, it's right there in the name of the school, and that goes all the way back to the founder of the school, Haridas Chaudhary, and the teaching that he brought with him from India, from Sri Aurobindo, and the mother of whom we'll speak about at length in, in, in the future with some of our guests, uh, that... The idea of integrating all of these various elements uh, is really kind of central to what it is that we're doing. So I was I was thinking also that, uh, for instance, uh, we have what what are in the program are called op- optional specialization areas, like depth psychology, in- integral and transpersonal psychology, eco psychology, culture and psychology, 
spiritual traditions, psycho-spiritual practice, shamanic and indigenous studies, consciousness studies, Asian and yoga studies. And I know that Debashish has been thinking about creating a certificate program in that we have a certificate in spiritual counseling and also one in eco-psychology. So you, you can see that the, the program is has really wide, um, there's a really wide field of knowledge or fields of knowledge that we draw from and that we uh, train students towards. And I think that that's one of the strengths of the program. We, we tend to draw a lot of really interesting people from all different walks of life. You know, we've had scientists in the program, business people in the program, artists in the program, philosophers, poets, uh, painters, um, uh, teachers, um, people, you know, working in, uh, you know, military people coming into the program and people from all over, all different walks of life. That's made for a really uh, rich experience for me being part of this program since 2006 now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was speaking to a, uh, a potential student earlier today, and I found myself saying that the program has enriched me in, in the way that it's helped me find language at the service of experience. And you spoke to that earlier, like there's a, a praxis that is deeply embedded. There is a, you know, the embodied practices that each course that you would take in EWP would, would offer is, is there. It's not a matter of separating out um, the body and the mind. We're overcoming this. We're saying we need to think through praxis, praxis or practice, and we need to allow practice to, 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 to become to become thought in a way and not the opposite. And so that whole, the whole idea, the activism in one sense, in my work, let's say, for instance, is to try to learn how music thinks through me rather than how I can talk about music, how I can use thought, which is a difference, a difference in kind to music in a way. Now there's an intersection as well here, but we're so used to having thought um, over-determine all of its, you know, all of the subjects that it encounters, or all of its objects, you could say, right? The, the subject of study. And so I think that's a really important piece for me. Um, and we will be dealing with the question of the integral, which you also brought up. Um, we're going to do a short uh, mini-series um, in, the, in the future with uh, some of our uh, professors, dealing with uh, the, the sort of the roots of CIS uh, coming from Haridas Chaudhry, like you mentioned, and how the question of the integral is central to this department's, um, this, this department's the questions that it is addressing. And we're gonna get different views on that integral because there's no one way of knowing that integral, but we're gonna learn a little bit more through our, our amazing uh, faculty. I had a, a student send me an email actually this morning uh, expressing wonderment at the, the fact that, the, and this is a new student in the program, that the, at the level to which the faculty members are expressing spiritual notions in the class. So when we talk about the integral, we really mean that it includes everything and what does it mean for students and faculty members to actually be able to forefront their 
spiritual path work. This is it's not always easy. It's, it's sometimes conversations can be difficult and challenging. But how do you show up as a total individual? And how do we encourage students to show up as total individuals? And in, in some ways, that that's what the curriculum of the program is designed to help with. So I find it really interesting in the classroom because I'm always listening and um, considering the ways in which the students are showing up and wondering, you know, how much of themselves are they are they bringing? People have uh, all kinds of concerns, fears, uh, what used to be called educational trauma. I don't know if they still use that term. Uh, people who come here because they, they they haven't felt comfortable in other institutions, and how do you how do you do that? You know, as a scholar practitioner, how do you like how do you practice excellent scholarship and at the same time ground it in your own inner work? I, I just wanted to share something short. This short piece, I'm you know I'm teaching a class in Western Magic this term, and I'm reading a book uh, right now called uh, Drawing Down the Moon. Uh, which was written by a person named Margot Adler, first published in 1979. Uh, it's still published. She just passed away recently. And there was an interview that she did with a, a woman named Alison Harlow, who was a Wiccan priestess, and they're just trying to define the word paganism for Adler. And I just thought that this was really wonderful because it was it, it came so close to my own personal feelings about these ideas. Harlow said that I'm confronted very often with trying to explain to people what I mean by paganism. So we could say the same, you know, what do we mean by East-West psychology? To some people, it seems like a contradiction to say that I have a certain subjective truth. I've experienced the goddess and that's my total reality. And yet I don't believe that I have the one true right and only way. Many people can't understand how I find her a part of my reality and accept the fact and, and I accept the fact that your reality might be something else. But for me, this in no way is a contradiction because I'm aware that my reality and my conclusions are a result of my unique genetic structure, my life experience, and my subjective feelings. And you're a different person whose same experience of whatever may or may not be out there will be translated in your nervous system into something different. And I can learn from that. I can extend my own reality by sharing that and grow this recognition that everyone has different experiences is a fundamental keystone to paganism. It's the fundamental premise that whatever is going on out there is infinitely more complex than I can ever understand. And that makes me feel very good. And I thought, especially that last line, that makes me feel very good. And one of the things that I've really learned to appreciate in this program, in and around CIS generally, but East-West psychology specifically, is the, the the amount of difference, what Sri Aurobindo, right, would maybe call uh, university and, uh, I'm sorry, unity and multiplicity. Uh, this extraordinary way in which we can all be one and yet uh, be completely and absolutely individual at the same time. In harmony, absolutely. In, and and that's, that space of harmony between the individuals, you know, that's, that's I think that, where things get very complicated because especially in our, our contemporary times, which we see a lot of uh, polarization, we're finding that, that understanding the collective, the shared space, the public sphere sphere is, is becoming harder and harder to navigate. And 
it's hard to say about, you know, is it that we are becoming, is it like our neoliberal container is, is putting all these pressures to become more and more individualized and therefore sundering a lot of the, the traditional um, ways in which we interact with, let's say, a family or communities. Um, technology, how is technology playing into this? You know, how is our, our dependence on, on social media and devices? In some ways, it's helping interconnection around the world. In other ways, it's creating all of these little individualized bubbles that are quite disconnected from the earth in a way. You know, and I think a lot of these questions are going to come up as we uh, as we speak to to the different guests that we have. Um, and there's a lot of different approaches to these and different people will sort of foreground different problems, different questions. But I think that they're all really important to our times. Absolutely. So maybe, Stefan, uh, we could talk a little bit about the format. We're going to. We're going to invite a guest. We're going to start with core faculty and then go to adjunct faculty. We're going to interview students. We're going to have people that have been involved in the department um, who who maybe haven't graduated from it, but have some involvement with it. And then we're going to talk to um, to, to other people that their their topics of studies or their lives intersect with with this kind of terrain of thought that we call EWP. And we're going to use sort of a long flowing, more casual um, format uh, to just to see how things arise between uh, you know us and the guests. And um, I, I really do look forward to that. I think the idea, I'm an improviser, I'm a musician. So the idea of sort of seeing how things arise and going with that is really, it will be, uh, it's an experiment for me too, to embark upon this. But experiments have always been um, the things that I, I love doing uh, the most and they've always given me the the most interesting results and uh, so let's see how it goes but uh, I'm looking forward to this I'm looking forward to it also big challenge for me is public speaking so we'll see how that goes uh, but I'm looking forward to all of the different conversations I think it's a great way to learn and I think that people who are tuning in will find a lot of the conversations to be interesting, enlivening, challenging. Yeah, and uh, how about a little word about about the format? Now, we chose a podcast. We could have done videos. We could have done different types of, uh, of ways of, of bringing these, this discussion into existence. But I, like you said at the very beginning, I felt like I did jump at this idea of a podcast. And for me, the podcast, the format has offered a different way of interacting with thought. And I really like the, the idea that it's just audio. Now I'm a musician, so I live in a very, uh, I've cultivated, let's say, practices around sound, playing jazz or playing Indian classical music, for instance. I lived in India for 10 years and I trained playing that. I, and I've done a lot of contemplative practices that that foreground sound. And so when I got into listening to podcasts, I really liked the fact that there's nothing else to go on but sound, um, which I think we can learn a lot from when we open our ears and shut our eyes. Or we just not even shut our eyes, but just, you know, you go into nature and you just start to focus a little bit more on what are the sounds that are animating my experience right now rather than the sights. And 
I think that the podcast, you know, is a very interesting, and for me, it's been a very productive medium to engage in. And so I hope the listeners can, can appreciate that and, and can, can, this can be a, a, a productive, you know, use of, of technology in a way. Yeah. And you can listen to us while you're out walking the dog or grocery shopping. <laughs> so that's convenient. Um, one last thing I want to mention before we go today is that at the end of our episodes, there will be a whole music track that's featured. Um, again, taking advantage of this kind of sonic medium. And for the first handful of episodes, I'm going to draw upon um, music that I've helped create and produced. For me, it was important to bring this music and, and want to feature it at the end of our podcast because I think it articulates in sound the types of questions that I'm engaging in my work. And what you hear in this music, it's a collaboration, um, this band Monsoon is a collaboration between my brother and very good friends in Toronto. We played together for over 10 years and it's sort of a confluence of people, of cultures, of instruments. And a lot of the questions that I'm, I'm following in my studies are really coming out of musical experiences. And so I just felt like bringing the arts into this podcast is, is important to me. And so at the end, you'll hear some music um, that is cross-cultural, transcultural, maybe, you, if you will, um, but that plays out, that experiments with some of these questions that we are going to be um, speaking about throughout this podcast. And we're also going to ask each of our guests to bring some kind of a, an arts-based experience, a poem, maybe a, a, a process uh, meditation or a process work. Um, and that's something that we also want to include, um, just so we, we, we can actually do what we were talking about, which is put praxis and theory in relation. And, you know, a lot of the time, especially in the academy, it, it can be easy to get wrapped up in, in theory itself. But I think that this is our um, humble attempt at trying to, to do that, to put thought into, into relation with other, other ways of knowing. Sounds great. I'm looking forward to it. From what, I, what I've heard already of the music that you've shared with me for the program, it's great, it's wonderful. And uh, for those who are listening, Jonathan is one of our, definitely one of our more gifted students. They're all gifted, uh, Jonathan is an extraordinary, extraordinarily gifted musician. Um, so you're in for a treat. I appreciate that, Stefan. We'll see you in the next episode. Yep, take good care. Mm -hmm.